Hi, welcome to Scrolls and Leaves. As you know, we're on a hiatus now, but we're revisiting some of our favorite bonus episodes, the chat rooms. Here's a fascinating conversation about the intersection of Ayurveda and science. This episode was first released back in November of 2020. Thanks so much for listening. And just a reminder, we'll be rolling out our full season one in just a few weeks. So do stay tuned for that. You may remember that when we released episode two a couple of months ago, we included a little recipe. We almost daily drink an extract of turmeric, ginger, honey, and lemon juice in sparkling water. This may sound like just another healthy shake or wellness drink, but it's actually much more, according to Anna Maspudic. Because the combination now, there is basic scientific evidence that these have anti-infective properties, for example, and uh, they're also rejuvenating. And I honestly believe that the combination of vitamin C, the curcumin, and the piperine certainly is not doing any harm. And the combination certainly seems to have helped me because I have very fewer colds and minor irritations than many of my contemporaries. And I believe that, uh, that I'm right about this. And of course, there is now accumulating scientific evidence that turmeric has um, a number of important properties. The curcumin that Anima mentions is the main active ingredient in turmeric and is proven to fight off inflammation at the molecular level and act as an antioxidant in the body. Turmeric, of course, has long been a staple in Indian cooking and in traditional medicine. Spices like turmeric and other plants known to ancient cultures form the basis for lots of modern medicines, such as aspirin, codeine, and ipecac. Anima brings a unique background to learning about those traditional systems. I am a PhD from Stanford in cell and molecular biology. About 15 years ago, I left the experimental science lab to explore knowledge systems of India, especially in the botanical medical sciences, and its applications to current biological medical issues. And during this conversation with a scientist, maybe we'll bridge just a tiny little bit that great divide between traditional and modern medicines. This is your bonus episode of Scrolls and Leaves called Chatroom. I'm Gayathri. And I'm Mary Rose. Uh, Just some quick notes before we hear from Anima. Scrolls and Leaves will be back with the rest of Season 1 next year. We're researching episodes now, and we're also looking for supporters. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening, writing in, and really making us feel part of a community. And it would really make our day if you could tell a friend about Scrolls and Leaves, or maybe even rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you. So back to our chat with Anima. It's no surprise that she was drawn to traditional medical systems. They were part of her life while she was growing up in Kerala. I grew up in a, you know, in a in a family where Western medical professionals were all around, and yet every single day there were always references to traditional knowledge that as it applied to daily life, especially plant-based food, you know, medicines, cures for ordinary illnesses. All of this were always very much part of our life. And, um, you know, I'm very well aware of the advantages of the traditional knowledge systems in all different directions in my life. Interesting. Can you give us an example? Maybe there was one particular treatment that your mom used all the time or when you got sick, something that was given to you? Is there a little story you can tell us? Yes. Most often, if you got a minor cold, for example, we would get... uh, something like called mulagatani, 
Mulaga is, is pepper. Okay? Tanni is water. Basically, it is an it says an extract or a little or a what you can call it a clear broth made with ground black pepper, tamarind, and maybe some tomato or other things to make it a little more sour or give it some texture. And and of course, turmeric was an essential ingredient in this. So there would be turmeric, black pepper, uh, tamarind, and um, maybe curry leaves. And this was a these. This extract or a soup, okay, well, mulagdani was supposed to help you with, with uh, colds and minor fevers and so on. And this was routinely part of our, our um, regimen. And of course, having grown up and learned biochemistry and molecular biology and so on, now you realize that actually pepper, pep, black pepper contains a very, very important small molecule called piperine. But the more important thing that occurred to me later when I was reading about traditional um, medicine and its, its manifestations in different forms is that now we know that piperine is an essential small molecule that makes access of other small molecules into the intestinal tract. Basically, it binds with the surface molecules on um, the small, oh no, and open some pores that other molecules can enter into the into the you know, system. So this kind of you know combination, these were figured out very long time ago, and um, this was very much part of our daily life. Another example is you know when you had aches and pains, basically we would get an oil bath. The oil bath, of course, the thylum was of course um, was an oil that was made from many different. Um, medicine, medicines, many different ingredients, and uh, you know it, they were used for reducing swelling or joint pains and so on. So every day in one's life, there were always use of traditional medicines in one form or another. Of course, we didn't consider them as medicines; we just considered them as part of you know daily lives, you know essentials. Um, so the Indian government has a whole department, the Ayush Ministry which is dedicated to traditional medicine. And ever since the pandemic began, this ministry is promoting a lot of Ayurveda medicine, and they're even doing some clinical trials. So, of course, it's gotten a mixed reaction. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about this. Do you think there might be some worth to doing these trials or giving these types of alternative treatments? I have no doubt that traditional medicine has value. 50 of the single molecule drugs we use now in Western medicine originally were derived from plants. That includes starting with aspirin, okay? And, but then many of them are either, many, some of them are still made from plants. Others were actually then, um, these structures were identified and they were synthesized, now are chemically synthesized. But the one um, important issue here is scientifically or, or documenting by outcome-based studies at least, that these traditional, these traditional therapies are valuable for which condition. In many cases, traditional medicine actually has a tremendous amount of benefit in chronic illnesses. If you have you know, appendicitis, you need to go and have your appendix fixed, right? Uh, and, but if you have arthritis, inflammatory diseases, if you have various types of chronic illnesses, Traditional medicine has a tremendous amount of value. In many cases, single drug remedies 
which are used for long-term chronic illnesses have also significant side effects. So what traditional medical therapies and formulation seems to do is to bring together modulating molecules or effects that subdue or deal with some of the side effects. But the problem is that in India, there are factions which are so committed to one thing or another. The, the people who are trained in Western medicine want, do not want to acknowledge the capability of, uh, the, the, you know, the possibilities of traditional medicine. And people who are uh, committed to traditional medicine want traditional medicine not to be subjected to outcome-based studies that actually validate their, their significance. I think if these two groups could come together and set up controlled studies, I think that is very, very important. But unfortunately, the factions are separated and are very often um, in their own corners and unwilling to collaborate and cooperate. So just following this thread, Traditional medicine or Ayurvedic medicine comes with its own intellectual background, and when you're sort of trying to do these clinical trials with them, are you not taking one kind of knowledge or scientific thinking and trying to fit it within the constraints of another kind of knowledge or scientific method? What is sort of the benefits of that? Or are they essentially two different kinds of systems, each with their own merit and two ways of thinking about the human body? And in that case, how do you go about proving the efficacy of traditional medicine? Yeah, it's a question that has been brought up many times. But for me, the outcome of either of both types of therapies is wellness. This is um, dealing with disease. And so even though each system is based on different ideas, you know, the molecular medicine looks at diseases in terms of molecules that are aberrant or mutations that have is causing aberrant molecules to be made in the body. Traditional medicine looks at uh, the uh, wellness in terms of doshas. Of course, you know, the, uh, the, the concept of dosha is probably more difficult to define. But on the other hand, the purpose of both is to give wellness. So we now have molecular methods of measuring wellness. I mean, if I have uh, if I have diabetes, right? You can calibrate uh, the sugar in my blood. Now, whether the lowering of my diabetes is brought about by injecting insulin, which also has side effects, or by using traditional medical decoctions over a longer period of time, because the concentrations of active ingredients in those may be smaller. I my um, goal would be to reduce my diabetes. So I uh, am of the opinion that clinical studies can be set up that could be set up carefully so that outcome can be studied. Of course, understanding exactly how the traditional medical extract works to bring about control of you know, blood sugar will be more complicated. Because unlike insulin, the plant extract contains many compounds. And they may be acting on, you know, every disease pathway has many sub-pathways. 
And so a traditional medicine may be acting at different places along the pathway. And that may be one reason why the outcome is slower. But on the other hand, it may also be the reason why there are fewer side effects to many traditional medical therapies. But because the outcome is slower, these clinical trials would have to extend for much, much longer, right? Yes, clinical trials have to be. But, but of course, the, the problem, the other problem with traditional medicine is that the way the traditional medic- medicine is, are, are provided nowadays is very different from the classical traditions. Because in the sense that we know that the conditions under which a plant is cultivated uh, changes the chemical composition of the plant. The time at which the plant is harvested, what part of the plant is used, how it's harvested, how it is extracted. Yeah? If you take, for example, um, a plant and you extract it in water, you extract it in alcohol, you extract it in some, you know, some of the traditional medicines are made by boiling it in oil. All of these makes a very big difference in what compounds are being extracted. So the challenge is to cultivate medicines, harvest them, and extract them in the traditional way, so that, and then characterize it. You know, there are ways in which you can take a water extract, you can put it through a high through, you know, an HVLC you know, column, and you can see what are the peaks, even though you don't, you may not identify the peaks. So that there's ways of standardizing it. I wanted to ask you about your visits. You've spent a lot of time learning from traditional practitioners in Kerala. Can you tell us more about that? I spent three or four years uh, visiting the late, great uh, Ashtavedya Chiratama Naranamus. He was an Ayurvedic physician from a traditional Ayurvedic family called Chiratama family, um, Chiratama Naranamus. He was a distinguished Ashtavedya. He has passed away since then. And their family were Rajavaidyas or Vaidyas to the Maharajas of Kerala and Kochi. And they, I, uh, through, you know, I got uh, in touch with him when I left UCSF and Stanford to study traditional medicine. And I mean, not study traditional medicine, but to learn about traditional medicine. And of course, he was at, at first very uh, disdainful of somebody like me. He, we, I don't know if you know Malayalam. So when I went there first, he said to me, and then I wondered, what, what, what did you come for? For four years, I met him at least three times a year. And, um, and we, I have extensive notes of my interactions with him. I would actually like to publish them somewhere because this was a scholar physician, the traditional kind uh, of, and um, it's, it's a, it's a, it was an amazing source of knowledge. But he told me one day, he and I went out into his medicinal garden he showed me a, three different plants side by side. And he plucked leaves from three of them. And he said to me, smell them. And I did. Well, one of them had a very different smell than the other two. And he said, you know, this is the medicine. The other two are related plants, but are not medicines. So the accuracy of the identification of traditional medicine. And he also told me that there are medicines that have to be plucked, you know, collected at a certain time. I also interviewed a folk medical practitioner where in my father's village many years ago. And he had, he was a, someone specialized in the treatment of what is called manasigarogam, the diseases of the mind. 
And um, while he was a very old man when I saw him, probably not as old as I am now, but it seemed to me that very old. And he told me he hadn't, he was not practicing anymore. So among all the conversations, I asked him why. And he said, well, his major therapy had to do with some type of what might be schizophrenia. But, you know, he didn't have that name for it. But the description of the disease sounded like schizophrenia. He said, but the, the, that, the medicine is a plant, which is an ithikane, which is a parasite plant that grows on a tree. And he said the plant has to be collected by a naked man. Now, of course, it, it sounds like the height of superstition, right? And so I, I heard, I smiled, I wrote it down and I went away. Years later, when I start, started to look into plant biology, I realized that medicines and the medicinal plants, the concentration of various chemicals go up, go change during the time of day with sunlight, with temperature, the harvesting season, etc. right? There's a time when plants flower and you know they have a different set of chemicals in the plant. So in this case, I realized the reason why he probably wanted, said he had to climb the tree at night is that probably in the, oh, a naked man had to climb the tree because he probably had, had to climb the tree at night because the temperature in, in the tropical environment is much lower at night, right? And maybe the active ingredient was at a higher concentration than in the cooler temperature. And of course, in, in many ways, traditional medical you know, stories, not in the Ayurvedic text, but in, in traditional, in folk medicine, is transferred as stories, as legends and as little episodes that people will remember. So why did the man have to be naked? That's what I'm trying to tell you. He has to, I realize now, the reason he had to be naked was the only time he probably would climb a tree naked is in the middle of the night when the village is sleeping, right? Ah, oh, so instead of saying collect it in the middle of the night. Yeah, probably, probably there, you know, somebody wouldn't have paid any attention to and said, climb it, take it in the middle of the night. But instead said, you have to be naked. So at least this is my interpretation. These are the kind of things that make traditional medicine difficult because there are legends and stories associated with it and identifying, you know, the details of the extraction and making of traditional medicine is something that has been lost because most of the Ayurvedic education these days, four-year colleges, are actually taught from texts which have been translated over and over again. So a lot of work has to go into making traditional therapies reliably and widely available. You were listening to Annama Spudich on Chatroom on Scrolls and Leaves. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed today, you can find some links on our website, scrollsandleaves.com. We'll be back in a couple of weeks for another chatroom. See you then.